Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach Laurel Beversdorf and physical therapist Dr. Sarah Court. With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to episode one of the Movement Logic Podcast. I'm your host, Laurel Beversdorf, and I'm joined by... Me, your co-host, Dr. Sarah Court. Yeah. Yeah. We are going to dive right into our topic today. It's a really big one. And it's kind of like a broad brushstroke conversation, but maybe more like the canvas that's going to kind of lay out what some of our more detailed conversations in future podcast episodes will kind of revolve around. So it's a question that I think is relevant to anyone with a body, but maybe just anyone, anyone, (laughs) anyone, anywhere, uh, but maybe more specifically to movement professionals like me and movement and rehab professionals like Dr. Sarah Court. It's a big question, and hopefully it sparks some interesting and philosophical conversation um, between Sarah and I, but I guess we're going to have to to wait and find out. Before we get into it, we want you to know that Sarah and I, we did decide on this topic for our conversation, but we have not had this uh, this conversation in the past. Our dialogue's not scripted. It's really just us thinking out loud, and that's kind of my favorite way to learn personally. So here's our big question. The question is, what is the difference between these three concepts? Movement, exercise, and sport. Now, those of you who practice or teach yoga, which is my guess is a good many of you who are listening, um, we know movement plays a really big role in the practice of yoga, but it doesn't really fit neatly into either of these or any of these three categories. It might need a category of its own. Maybe you're wondering about that. Don't worry. We are going to get into that question big time in this conversation. Um, We have two more questions that we're going to ask around this that we've planned out as well, Uh, uh, but more on that as we get into this topic of the difference, the difference between movement, exercise, and sport. So- Sarah, yes. do you want to- What's the difference? Start us off. Yeah. I mean, I think- there's probably, you know, many different opinions on what the, what these things are, what the difference is. And, uh, you know, when I was, when I was thinking about it, I, I, the sport one sort of separated itself in my mind a little more clearly from movement and exercise. Those two seemed more grouped together. Sport to me involves competition. It involves, uh, some sort of aim outside of the movement itself, like winning, uh, <laughs> it might involve other things like a ball or a bat, uh, which are all things that I, uh, personally really don't enjoy. I, <laughs> this is a total aside, but I was at the clinic yesterday and the clinic owner, who's a, also a, a practitioner was like, think fast. And she threw a ball. I was looking for this ball. And she threw it at me. And I literally, as she was throwing it, I went, I hate catching. <laughs> um, because Sport to me is the thing where you embarrass yourself. I guess that's my experience of sport (laughs) from having more of a like yoga and dance background. So Mm -hmm. to me, sport has like a a goal outside of the the physical movement of it. 
Um, and, and part of that difference is when I, you know, work with athletes or people who are sporty, um, you know, a lot of people think people who are, are sort of at a higher level of, of movement or, or sport like that, that they are really incredibly excellent movers. And in some ways they are, but the wild thing that I see very, very often is that because the focus is so much on this goal of, you know, be the fastest or hit the thing the farthest or whatever the sport asks for, very often they're just kind of getting there however they get there. And the mm. strategy, the movement strategy and motor planning, all of that kind of stuff within their movement sometimes is bananas. I've seen some really crazy stuff where I'm like, I get it, you're really good at this, but you like almost somehow like without actually doing it the, the best possible way, the most um, right. efficient way. Uh, mm. So that's sort of where I am with sport. What do you think about sport? Well, yeah. So, so I think that sport is definitely the most specific of the three. Mm -hmm. I played volleyball. That was my best sport all the way through senior year of high school and loved lots of different sports, basketball, track and field. I ran the 300 meter hurdles. I was fairly good. I was fairly good athlete, but only in high school. And, and, uh, I guess, so if I were to just give you like a couple words that mm -hmm. I identify with each of these concepts, movement, exercise, sport. When I think of movement, I think of life or like the basis of what we're studying in physics, chemistry, and biology, like mm -hmm. movement is life. Also, you know, I think about like how movement defines space and time, right? It's just so broad mm -hmm. that when we're talking about movement, we could be talking about any number of infinite variables having to do like with microscopic and macroscopic and like movement is in like just moving about our day. Oops, I hit the mic <laughs> moving about our day as humans. I moved and whammed my uh, arm into the mic. So movement's so, super broad exercise. When I think of exercise, I think of health, something mm. we do for health. Yeah. And sport, I think of competition, just like you yeah. said. Um, I probably identify least with sport. I don't teach athletics. I'm not a competitive athlete. However, funny story. I started doing CrossFit, which has so far been something I have not been talking about a lot because I'm still trying to figure out how it fits with my identity. Mm -hmm. Like going to CrossFit classes? I am having an identity, identity crisis with CrossFit. <laughs> but here's the thing. I moved to Alabama from New York and I wanted to join a gym and I had a lot of curiosity about CrossFit. And I wanted to strength train. And I knew that that was going to be a part of CrossFit, like big time. I also wanted more aerobic exercise. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, CrossFit has all of that. I joined this gym and I freaking love it. I love the gym. I love the people there. I mean, I don't really know them all that well, to be honest with you, but I like the vibe. Do you know how you, when you get, you get a vibe from a place and you're yeah. like, this place is for me. It, yeah. It's for me. And I think it really plays into like my rebel thinker personality where like, I don't like being told what to do, but I like to think really deeply about why I'm doing something. So when I choose someone to tell me what to do, I want it to be because they've thought really deeply about what they're telling me to do. Mm -hmm. So this CrossFit gym, they don't really get on me about anything. Like I can do whatever variation of whatever exercise I want. I know what I'm doing. Right. And I can also right. go up to them and ask them for an alternative. And they, there's no, like, no, you gotta like do more, harder, faster, better, heavier. Like if anything, they lean more toward let's, let's, you know, start slow. Let's take it 
you know, more conservatively. So I really appreciate this particular gym and I'm really digging CrossFit. But one of the things that's always sort of like given me a twitch about CrossFit is that they they call everybody an athlete. Mm. And I'm like, well, I used to identify as an athlete. I don't anymore, but like really an athlete, like why, why do I have to be called an athlete? I'm not doing this for competition. Although there is this competitive aspect to CrossFit. I mean, there are CrossFit competitions. So I was talking to um, somebody that I'm mentoring with, uh, Chris Beardsley, who's a, an exercise scientist and he, he's uh, expert in strength physiology. And I, and I told him I was doing CrossFit and I was like, but they call me an athlete and I, I don't really think I'm an athlete. He's like, well, anything done competitively is, is potentially a sport, anything done competitively. So that's actually Chris Beardsley's definition. Right. Uh, well, I'm not gonna, you know, basically take his words and like, <laughs> set them in stone right now, but that's was my takeaway from what he said. Anything done competitively is a sport. But then I'm like, well, I used to be competitive in the yoga classrooms that I was practicing in as a newer practitioner and like trying to like out headstand people around me as well. So is that, is that make yoga a sport? So I'm, I guess we could talk about like, what is competition? Yeah. There's, there's like more and less official versions of competition. Um, I think as far as, as I wanted to say, this idea of like what makes an athlete and is it necessarily equated with sport or competition? I think it can be one of the things that I look at when I'm working with a patient, as far as their rehab, their goals is, you know, do you want to get back to X, Y, Z sport? And, you know, I'm not a, as we've determined already, I'm not a sporty person, but I have to know enough about the mechanics and the, kinesiology and everything around a bunch of sports that are popular because I have to be able to help my patients rehab back to that sport or that activity like golf or tennis are very very common Mm -hmm. Um, running is huge Uh, and the thing I would say about you know calling you an athlete I mean I get it when when you feel like oh well that's not really who I am I'm not in this for competition I'm not even really in competition with myself, which maybe is another way to determine, you know, calling yourself an athlete is like, oh, I'm trying to, you know, best my own PR or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah, but one of the, you know, in terms of when I think about the level that I have to rehab somebody to, if I have someone who, you know, and they're like, I run three or four, normally I run three or four times a week, I'll do a 10K on a weekend, no problem. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not rehabbing this person to the level where they want to just be able to like, you know, get down to the floor and play with their grandkids or, you know, take a gentle walk and maybe ride their bike on the weekend or something. I'm rehabbing this person to be able to perform at the level of an athlete, Mm -hmm. whether or not they think of themselves as one, I have to think of them as one. So uh, that's, that's part of what I think of in in the rehab sort of world. Um, As far as then defining, you know, exercise and movement, I like what you said about exercise and health. I think I think of exercise different from movement in that exercise has a goal. The mm. the exercise itself is sometimes less. Uh, it, the exercise itself may not be the goal. The goal is health or fitness. Mm. I can never say the word fitness anymore without <laughs> thinking about that meme with the pizza. Do you know this? No. It's like a cat sitting next to a pizza, and the cat's like, "I'm really into fitness." fitness whole pizza in my mouth and that's so now whenever I hear the word fitness that's all I think about pizza it's yeah. so fitness and pizza um 
but, but yeah, exercise has a goal, right? It's, it's, and, and again, in the rehab space, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this corrective exercise mm. so that I can rehab my sprained ankle so that I can go running again or something like that. Mm. Or um, I'm going to exercise because I have uh, goals around my weight or goals around my cardiovascular health or mm-hmm. goals around some sort of muscular hypertrophy bodybuilding thing or bone density or any mm. number of other things. So that's, I always think of it like exercise is sort of like the thing that you're doing to get to the other thing that you right. want. And yeah. yeah, movement, I think it seems to me that in the, in the world of yoga and Pilates and uh, you know, the, the, I think we've sort of all adapted the term or not adapted, excuse me, adopted the term movement because <laughs> It's hard to, you know, and we, you and I were talking about this earlier. It's hard for me to describe what I do when I teach classes. And Mm. uh, I think movement just allows us so much freedom to include whatever we want that it's, it's much easier than if you, if I call my class a yoga class, Mm. how much of it needs to be what people think of as yoga asana right? and how much of it needs to, or can be other things. And, And at this point it's, it's such a mishmash you know, but if I call it movement, then, then the expectations are, well, it could be anything and I could put whatever I want into it. So I think movement gives us a a degree of freedom as teachers to include whatever we want to include, include in our uh, classes. Right. Yeah. Yoga is a combination of physical movement, spiritual practices, meditative breath-based practices that originated in India. And so it has this like spiritual cultural component to it that I do think, um, you know, it makes it so that it doesn't really fit very neatly into the categories of movement or exercise. I don't think yeah. it really belongs in sport at all, no. but movement is something that we, we do in a yoga practice, um, because everything is movement, but some forms of yoga are treated, I think a bit more, uh, like exercise, right? So we're doing yeah. the, the asanas in order to actually put some stress on our body to facilitate changes, adaptations in, in, you know, different toward different capacities. Um, the yoga practice is, uh, also potentially used for like decreasing or, uh, basically recovery, a a form of recovery practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so in, if you do, for example, higher intensity exercise, strength training, things like that, um, on your off days, you might do a practice like yoga for the very purpose of kind of like removing the stressor and recovering. And then, you know, ha- having all of those maybe positive effects on the nervous system and on the brain that we know are associated with things like meditation and, and mindfulness. So, yeah, I guess my, my next question is, so when we're talking about movement, we could be talking about any number of things. There's, there are certain activities that don't fit very neatly into either category fully let me just give you one example, like gardening. Some people call gardening exercise. They do Mm -hmm. gardening for exercise, but gardening is also kind of like one of those daily life tasks that you do to like get your plants to grow and have vegetables and things like that. Same thing with, um, you know, housework could also sort of be exercise in that, like it gets you moving. There might be some physical, um, labor involved with it that, you know, could facilitate (laughs) adaptations. I mean, honestly, like any type of movement could be taking us away from a deconditioned state. But I think the, what sets exercise apart is 
potentially that when we do exercise, we're seeking to make some kind of change to our body. Yeah. Now that exercise that we do, the exercise that we do could be like on a spectrum of intensities though. So like we could be doing restorative yoga as a recovery practice that actually doesn't really put very much stress at all on our bodies, but does create change say in our energetic state, right? So it's still creating change. The types of exercises that you might do with somebody who is just out of surgery, like rehabilitation exercises are going to be very low effort, low intensity exercises, potentially for the average person, but for that, that person just out of surgery, they're going to be pretty significant. So that's another thing about, you know, exercises like the difficulty factor really depends on the person we're working with and like where they are. Um, you know, but, uh, but, uh, I was, I was going to say exercise is, is so broad. Right. And so I think what we, we get a little bit confused when we're talking about exercise as, as movement teachers, is like, what are we trying to change? Mm-hmm. What ch- types of changes are we trying to facilitate in someone's life and maybe more narrowly in their body? Right. Mm-hmm. Because we, when we talk about bodies, sometimes we get kind of hung up on like the muscles and the bones and the flexibility and the strength and all that stuff. But like, honestly, the bigger changes that I think people, um, want from exercise have more to do with their life, like how they feel in their life and how they feel as a person in their life. Um, I think really it's, it's the feeling they're left with. Uh, so yeah, that's what I have to say about movement, exercise, yoga. Um, I wonder, maybe we could ask our next question. Sure. Okay. (laughs) Next question is what problems do we have as a society? We're, you know, we're in the United States, but you know, anywhere in your society, what problems might your society, your culture have with, with movement? What problems might your society or culture have with exercise and what problems might it have with sport? I'm happy to, to, to start us off with this one. So if it's real sure. quick, like movement, maybe we don't move enough. Mm-hmm. We've outsourced movement and we call it convenience, right? We're no longer having to do like the movement that we had to do before there was delivery, <laughs> internet, yep. cars, vacuum blah, blah, cleaner, blah. right? Yep. Vacuum cleaner, right? Exercise. I think that we, we struggle with the problem of never enough, um, or also maybe not enough, like, because maybe the daily movements of our lives aren't stressing our bodies enough to leave us with the resilience and robustness that we need to be pain-free and to feel good. But exercise also has this, like the pendulum swings pretty widely. And we have a problem with exercise where it's just never enough. So in yoga, you're never aligned enough. You're never doing fancy enough poses, strength training. It's never heavy enough aerobic exercise. You're never fast enough or running long enough. Right. Um, and then with sport, similar to exercise, we have an issue maybe with overtraining, right. Mm -hmm. And, and a lack of variability where we're only training for our sport. And then we end up with, you know, pain as a result of that variability, um, is really important, you know, for, for keeping us feeling good, but with, with, with sport in terms of our culture and society, I actually feel like there's just such an outsized emphasis on sport that it drives the financing of so much research that who's being researched 
are like college athletes or like elite athletes a lot of the time. Well, actually it's either, it's, it's like, it seems like it's either swinging between like absolute beginners who've, who are completely untrained, say, for example, if it's like a research about strength or we're, we're conducting this, this study in order to get an answer to a question that would be relevant to athletics or sport. Yeah. And unfortunately I feel like that leaves so many people out from, yeah. you know, the, the evidence being able to help potentially, um, steer movement education for the average, uh, you know, 55 year old woman, for example, there's yeah. not a whole lot of studies on like strength for 55 year old women. No, if I need from, from I, my perspective, which is limited. If yeah. I read another study that starts with it, it's like methods, 18 college level athletes. I'm always just like, oh, okay, great. So yeah, but that's where the money is. 18 to 25 year olds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, to go back, I, as you were talking, I had so many things just sort of pinging in my head. Mm. Um, I think absolutely one of the biggest issues that we have in this country is with people just not moving enough generally. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't tell you the number of patients who come in and they're like, I sit at my computer 10 hours a day. And I'm like, when do you get up? And they're like, once, you know? Yeah. And so we see these repetitive stressors on the body from posture, not that there is a necessarily, you know, perfect posture to be in, but lack of, to your uh, point, variability in posture, lack mm -hmm. of movement in, uh, I'm going to give you a term, ADLs. ADLs are activities of daily living. It's mm. one of the, my fancy uh, physical therapy, note writing, shorthand. And, and it's, that means that is, you know, cleaning the house and going mm -hmm. to the store and all that kind of stuff. And it's a type of movement. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I could push the vacuum cleaner around or I could press the button on my little robot and my robot could run around the house and vacuum the floor instead. Right. I could, <laughs> I want to run so bad. Oh, uh, I so mean, bad. they're like $800 though, aren't they? No, 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 no. They're like two, 200. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> oh, I mean, they, if you get, you don't have to get them cheaper. Well, they're, it's the best. I do love it. You have to name it. Mine's oh, you have a Roomba? I have a, it's a, not a Roomba, but it's like a off-brand or whatever. His name's Kevin. Oh. Uh, so, you know, you have to name them because that's just a rule. Yeah. That's a, a rule of the robot vacuum. Okay. Um, but, we have an but, owl yeah. outside our house. You know, we named it Steve. Nice. <laughs> of naming things. I have an imaginary <laughs> raccoon, not a real one, in my basement and his name's Richard. <laughs> I just promise it's true. I'm afraid he's going to come up through the vents with his little hands and just wrap them around the vents and be like, hello. Anyway. Wow. But yeah, we, we drive to the store because we can load up the car instead mm -hmm. of walking, oh, yeah. you know, where I live at least instead of walking. Well, I live walks. where yeah. I live now in Alabama. It's like right. life-changing. It's amazing. I love it. I, I would never, I never want to go back to schlepping my groceries again. Cause I used to live in New York city where grocery yeah. shopping before the pandemic when everything became like delivered to your door but grocery shopping was like a sport it was more it like meant. a sport I remember when I lived there walking up my three flights of stairs with bags of groceries and just being like okay well here's my workout for the day yeah, so yeah yeah we've outsourced a lot of it and and even I mean you can get very sort of uh micro with this as well and talk about things like the amount of foods that we that are available that are pre-chopped so right. people aren't chopping vegetables, right. that your jaw strength is different mm. because you're not biting into an apple, you're eating apple slices, mm. you know, things like that. You know, yeah. so, so from a sort of micro to macro level, we have really 
removed a lot of the kind of daily exercise that previously was helping with overall fitness, with, uh, you know, bone density, with fatigue, with, you know, sleeping better, all of these other things. This episode is brought to you by the Movement Logic Foot and Ankle Tutorial. Our feet and ankles are a pretty complicated bunch of joints that we tend to pay little attention to until they hurt. But with the proper care, we can recover from injury or prevent future injuries from taking place. If you or your students have foot pain, or you simply want more ideas for functional and progressive movements to maintain healthy ankle, foot, and toe mobility and strength, the Movement Logic Foot and Ankle Tutorial is for you. We'll help you better understand how the foot and ankle integrates with the leg, hips, and even the neck. We'll teach you exercises that explore supination and pronation, arch support and development, balance and proprioception, and how they all contribute to the mechanics of walking. And we'll explain why old beliefs incorrectly emphasize position over function. Physical therapist, Dr. Sarah Court, yoga teacher and strength coach, Laurel Beversdorf, and Pilates teacher, Anula Myberg, have created this foot and ankle tutorial to help you better understand and connect to your feet and ankles and improve your overall function and health. Click the link in the show notes to learn more and to purchase. Um, and I think what has happened now is uh, we sort of have, have turned exercise into uh, punishment for a lot of people yeah. because it's like, oh, well, because of my lifestyle now, I have to do these you know, six exercises today that Sarah gave me as homework, but I don't enjoy it. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I got to find time to put this in. And it becomes like a whole thing for a lot of people. Uh, right. And, you know, the number of people that I see when I'll be like, okay, how's it going with the stuff we're giving you at home? And they're like, eh, I kind of did it once, mm -hmm. you know, because it, because it becomes like another chore, mm -hmm. right? So we start to think of exercise as a chore, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, in and of itself, something, something to enjoy. And I'll say that I think that's where sport is really helpful because yeah. I feel like people who are training, so exercise becomes training when you're an athlete, right? So absolutely, even the change in term tells you that I am doing this exercise yeah. in a, a, goal. a very specific reason and for, for in pursuit of mastery, which is incredibly fulfilling when yeah. we can, yeah. we can, we can be working on getting better at something that we, that we really enjoy and care about. So anyway, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's also something we sort of stress a lot in the rehab world, which is if I, if I don't give you a reason to do this exercise at home, you're just going to be like, Ugh, I'm not enjoying this. But if I give you a reason, if I connect it to the thing that you want to get back to, right. So mm. you want to uh, increase your range of motion in your shoulder so you can do your, your tennis swing again, post, I don't know, labral repair, let's say something like that. So mm -hmm. every then piece of homework that I'm giving you to do, or even calling it homework, right? I, it, I need a better term for it, but every piece of exercise that I give you to do, if I can connect it for you to that goal, you're so much more likely to want to do it and then to actually do it because right. it's not just this sort of standalone, like, oh, I'm flossing my teeth again, you know, right. kind of a thing. So right. I think that's a big piece of it. And, you know, ultimately, I think a lot of adults, at least, uh, start to think about sport as something they did when they were younger. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is no longer uh, for them a lot mm -hmm. of the time. Uh, 
you know, or it's, oh, I, I tried to get back into soccer and I injured my ankle because I haven't mm. played soccer in 20 years, but I played it in school, you know, and then things like that. So, so figuring out a word in between exercise and sport, maybe where there's something like, like, I really enjoy hiking. There's tons of beautiful hiking trails in and around Los Angeles, which you will come and see. Yes. Uh, but, you know, my friend Alex and I will go on like a six mile hike. That's exhausting. Is that exercise? Is that sport? Is that movement? It's kind of all three because I, I'm not in competition with somebody about it, but I'm a little bit in competition with myself and with each other. We time it every time. And we try oh, to see like okay. how long did it take, you know, all so right. we're like, oh, wow, we shaved 10 minutes off of that hike, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think the ideal scenario is some sort of uh, Venn diagram where the middle of like movement, exercise, and sport where the middle is like where you want to hang out. And right. so what are the things that motivate you? What do you get excited about? Mm. You know, and, and how does your movement and exercise lead you towards that activity? Well, can I say something? I'm, I'm training for a muscle up right now. So in addition to doing CrossFit, <laughs> where like there's lots of muscle ups in CrossFit and I can't do them. So I hired a personal <laughs> trainer who uh, is really smart and he's doing um, remote personal training with me. And so this idea of like, what is the, what is the in-between between exercise and sport? I feel like my muscle up training is that okay. CrossFit's exercise. It's very general, but this right. muscle up training is much more specific. And so all of the programming that he's doing for me is really taking me very specifically in the direction of being able to do a muscle up. And so we're training specific exercises with specific training parameters for that purpose. And so, yes, it's exercise. I, I consider my training, I call it training, right? As exercise, but it is progressive and targeted to take me toward this goal that is not a sport. I'm not in competition, but I am writing down my numbers every day, tracking my parameters. And I definitely have an eye on improvement. I definitely have an eye on progress. And I feel like that might be what is missing from people who, for example, go from sitting at their desk all day and then decide they want to, they want to take up basketball, right? That might be that type of progressive overload and specific, uh, you know, loading might be the answer to, to that problem. But that, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a form of exercise, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a more specific, um, it's a more specific approach to exercise, which is what I actually love so much about strength training is the goal orientation of it that you can have. You don't have to have CrossFit. Like I said, is, is much more general. Uh, it's a much more general resistance type of resistance training and strength training, but, um, but the, the type of, uh, work you could be doing to, to prepare, prepare yourself or prepare your student or prepare your patient for this more specific type of demand, um, you know, strength training kind of is, is able to, to do that in a way that I have not really, I haven't really understood other, other modalities as capable of doing, except, um, I guess like we could kind of take a little bit of a tangent here and talk about dance, right. We could talk about another type of performance, which is art, artistic performance. You and I mm -hmm. both have an artistic background, 
Uh, I was an actor, but I had some, some, some movement uh, proclivities in, in my acting. I was much more of a movement-based actor. I keep hitting the mic. Sorry. I was much more of a movement-based actor. Um, and you were a former, you're a former dancer, uh, yeah, performer, but, right? Yeah. Well, not in any sort of professional capacity, but I did it a lot. And I, I also did some of my own acting, although it was all really in commercials. So I, I put act at quotation marks around acting because uh-huh. a lot of just, you know, hold the product, smile and say something dumb. So yeah, uh, for, for whatever reason, I was the exact level of corny Yeah, <laughs> to be able to do that with a straight face. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that what's interesting to me about artistic forms of movement that honestly, I think is missing really from our conversation so far is the cathartic aspect of moving for the purpose of self-expression hmm. or movement for the purpose of expression. So, and this is where I want to bring back yoga, where I think that yoga is, is just walking this really interesting line as a modality because it can kind of hold space for movement, exercise. I haven't really associated that much with sport, but it definitely could be a nice compliment to sport, right? But movement and exercise, but then there's also this like self-expressive aspect of yoga where the focus is less on performance and more, it can be less on performance or even the doing and more on the feeling and the attunement. And then from there, taking that, that level of self-awareness, that level of, of interoception, the ability to like pay attention to what we're feeling on the inside and turn that into an expression of movement, an expression of movement for the sake of expressing movement. And, and this is where yoga I think is so unique because it really can be done. Of course, everyone's doing yoga for their own reason, but yoga can be done just for the sake of it. Right. Right. Like I'm really not trying to do anything. I'm trying to be with myself right now. Yeah. Yoga is, you know, it's different. As you said, it's different things to different people. It's, it's taught and practiced in so many different ways now that it, I think it can be hard to find a single mm. uh, kind of definition of it. But I do think, I agree with you at, at its core, it is, it is a, a, a practice of, of being with yourself in yourself mm-hmm. and not uh, uh, doom scrolling or, uh, you know, distracting ourselves from, from the present moment, or it's so much about being in your body in the moment and being okay with whatever comes up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, which is different to me than the idea of exercise, right? It doesn't, Mm. you know, to your point, it doesn't have a goal outside of itself necessarily. It it exists as its own goal. The practice is the goal. Mm -hmm. So that's that that sort of categorizes it differently than than doing exercise or sport mm-hmm. um but sometimes the practice of yoga does not involve that much movement right, right. sometimes it's about a, a non-moving mm-hmm. uh right it's a, the practice of meditation the practice of sitting the practice of quietude and um you know it, it's it's such a phenomenal gift and it, it's uh I, you know, I, I, I love it. I, I, my own yoga practice has, has 
changed so much over the years and I'm sure yours has as well. In the beginning, mm -hmm. I was, you know, much younger. And so very much into the like, oh, look at, look at how well I do this pose in the middle of the room. And everyone's like, yeah. oh, good job. You know, and now, <laughs> now it, it probably looks, if, if the 25 year old me practicing yoga saw what I was doing now, right. it, I would probably be like, what is this feeble old lady yoga that you're doing? Where's yeah. the like 15 headstands and the like, you know, crazy balance poses and all the things that actually I, I over-practiced and ended up injuring myself from. Mm. Um, but I think uh, with some age comes hopefully a little bit of wisdom and some understanding that, that, you know, you can look back and say, okay, well, what was I, what was I using the practice for at mm. that point? And were my goals uh, different? Mm. I don't necessarily want to say better or worse, but uh, how, how have my goals for my practice of yoga changed and how has my practice of yoga changed to reflect those goals? Well, yeah. And, and you're making me think of one of the problems that I feel like arises for me when I consider the concept of exercise is this never enough mentality mm -hmm. that I feel was much more prevalent in me as a younger practitioner, where at first it was never fancy enough. Like, what's the hardest pose I can do? And then it was never aligned enough. Mm. And then I started to have pain associated, at least in part from my practice, but it might've just been because that was the only practice that I had. I wasn't doing other forms of exercise. I wasn't doing other types of movement for the purpose of health, right? I was just doing yoga for all of my health. And I started to have pain and I started to recognize that actually maybe I needed to do some different type of exercise, I started strength training. And because the effort and intensity of strength training is much, much higher than yoga, I had underwent kind of an identity crisis of sorts where I was like, oh, I'm working so hard. I am not used to working this hard. And in fact, in the yoga practice, the, the sort of direction, the trajectory that I thought I was on was to make everything feel easier and effortless, right? Like the path toward effortlessness, right? And so strength training was this very interesting challenge to my identity of like what I thought I was trying to do with my body, but then also um, kind of just spoke for itself in terms of uh, how much better I felt after I started doing it, that I was like, well, there's something to this. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and so the never enough though, of strength training, I think is, is often to just try to like get stronger and stronger and stronger. And, and maybe as a result overload in the sense of like, <clears throat> you know, injuring ourselves or uh, maybe not having enough recovery built into yeah. our training as a 41 year old woman, I don't notice myself suffering from that never enough mentality as much as I did when I was 25. Absolutely. So I, the yeah. other thing that I, I, I would, I would run as well as a 25 year old for the purpose of losing weight mm -hmm. and looking a certain way, which I think is another never enough problem with exercise, which is that I don't think enough people are exercising to feel good. I think they're exercising to change the way they look, yep. which is, is not helping them feel better. Actually. It's like sort of, at least I'll speak from my perspective as a 25 year old trying to become thinner and thinner and thinner that definitely running for the purpose of losing weight, that, that reasoning for my running wasn't helping me feel better. However, the running in and of itself, the endorphins, the aerobic capacity I was building from it was certainly having positive influence. Mm -hmm. Um, but it could have easily become, um, something that was unhealthy 
And so when we're doing exercise for health, we have to be careful that, that our approach isn't actually creating the opposite effect of, of it becoming unhealthy. And I think that that's true for sport as well. Um, yeah, I think you can, t- I mean, and there's plenty of people that I don't see it as much anymore, but I still do see sometimes where they've injured themselves during their yoga practice. And I say, well, how many times a week are you practicing yoga every day? Right. Is there, is there any day where you're not doing that? No. Is there yeah. any day where you're doing something different? No. Yeah. So, you know, anything can become a problem if it's done for the wrong reasons, or if it's mm-hmm. done in, in an unhealthy manner, we can addict ourselves to anything, right? We can addict ourselves to the, the, the feeling of being the person who does yoga every day. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's so many ways, but I think ultimately sort of big picture for, for us culturally is that we need to land somewhere in the middle. We need to figure out how to stop sort of some parts of the population who are, you know, overusing, abusing, you know, overdoing whatever sport or activity or exercise. And we have to talk to the parts of the population that are doing not enough or nothing um, Mm -hmm. for, for no reason other than uh, they're out of the habit of it. It was never encouraged. It was never emphasized. um, And now they're finding themselves in pain or having problems because of that. And, and honestly, I have to do, I do a lot of education in the clinic around yes, we can make your back feel better if you do some movement and, mm-hmm. and how much people have become scared of movement because now things hurt, mm. right? Um, and and we, I think we need to take sort of both ends of the spectrum and kind of try to point them more into the middle right. where you live in a space of, you know, uh, practicing whatever your sport is for fun, understanding your exercise or training as a way to help you do the thing that you like um, the joy of just being in a body and the the ability to move a body and the privilege of having a body that functions mm-hmm. relatively well, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and to you know enjoy it a little more. I think I think yes. with a lot of these things, we we're in the in American culture in particular. I think we're very good at turning everything into work. So suddenly yeah. the sport becomes a work, the exercise becomes work. Yeah, right? you're <laughs> you're like well from eight to nine. Uh, is when I, you know, achieve enlightenment. And then at nine, I have a Zoom meeting and, you know, and, it's just... and, I, and I've got to turn my yoga practice into a reel for Instagram. Right, exactly. You know, no. so um, did it even, ha- hey, if nobody ever saw it, if you yeah. didn't record it, did it right. even happen? Yeah. Right. And the, and the yoga practice took 30 minutes and making the reel took five hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the making of the reel undid any benefit of the yoga practice because oh my God. after hour five, you're ready to throw your phone across the room. A thousand times over. You know, so, so I think we need to come to sort of this middle ground of uh, understanding that we all need to be probably moving more than we are on a daily yeah. basis, not turning it into punishment, not turning it into overuse, uh, not turning towards medication as mm. the automatic fix uh, or surgery, which I see a lot of, and, and mm. understanding that a lot of the research now actually is saying, you know, the surgery is not going to fix the problem that you have. Right. So, I mean, obviously in, in many cases, I've had plenty of surgery, so I'm not anti-surgery, but um, in a lot of cases, like low back pain, for example, there's a lot mm. of studies where it's like, you can go ahead and have that low back surgery and, and you're still going to have your pain. So, yeah, you know, a lot of education around uh, both ends of the spectrum, I think. Yeah. I think the question is usually where's the money at? 
right? That's why well, the money's why, in the drugs. The well, money's the money's in the, in the drugs. drugs. The mo- money's in the surgery. The money's in the drugs. But yeah. then the money, for for example, this topic of of sport being sort of the problem in in our culture and society with sport is that it, there's such a hyper focus. It's such a priority mm-hmm. in terms of like the collection of knowledge, like epistemologically, like we we want to know as much as possible about performance and sport. But why don't we also want to know as much as possible about um, perimenopausal women? And uh, why don't we also want to know as much as possible about postnatal recovery, right. pelvic floor health? Why don't we want to know as much as possible about you know all, all these other topics for the majority of the population who are not elite athletes? I'm getting worked up about it. You are. Uh, and Laurel, the answer is, you know why not? Because the patriarchy. Right. Because all of those topics are about women for the most part. Pelvic yeah. floor health is for both. Yeah. But you know, mostly, yeah, mostly and, and, the people who come in are are women. Yeah, and male and male and male and, and and all the money in sports is with the you know, male, yeah. male athletes. Our final question around the original question is what are we doing, you and I? What is movement logic doing? And what's our aim? What's our, what's our mission as it, as it relates to the topics of movement, exercise, and sport? Yeah. You want to go first (laughs) (laughs) or you want me to go first? What's our mission? Well, you know, uh, movement logic is for everybody, but it is also sort of more aimed at teachers. So any teacher of movement, Pilates, yoga, you know, strength coaches, personal trainers, physical therapists, um, you know, and, and as such, it, it tries to, what we're trying to do is, is create content that takes the knowledge that you have and just levels it up and, and gives you more background to what you might have learned in your sort of initial trainings or over the years of, of your work. And we mostly try to do that with, excuse me, with a lot of, uh, exercises for want of a better word, movements, now that we've had this conversation, I'm like, I don't know, is it movement or is it exercise? But I don't know. Examples of <laughs> ways that you, that you can start to create novel movement variability for the for the yoga population in particular, uh, including strength into the work that you're doing, because that is a piece, you know, yes, there is strengthening components to yoga, but that sense that external load is, is missing unless you're mm-hmm. doing yoga with weights, right. um, which then sort of gets into that weird hybrid world. But anyway, you know, that to me, that's the, the goal is uh, it's the sort of, you know, teach a person to fish mm-hmm. rather than just like handing out fish. So right. I, I love getting to work in my role as a teacher separately from my role as a clinician, because clinician, it's sort of one-to-one and Mm. teacher, I feel like, well, if I just taught 15 different people, something about this, they then go out and work with how many other of their, you know, students and clients. So um, really, I mean, just, just, just a lot of movement education, Mm. uh, which that's to me, that's the goal. What about you? What do you think? Well, I'm going to talk about what my mission is, as a yoga teacher, strength coach, or just movement educator, which is, well, I'm doing it right now, right? Starting conversations to get us thinking a little bit deeper about what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. But 
in the realms of like my actual movement teaching, I think I'm always trying to think about how I want students, what I want, what I want them to leave with beyond just the feeling and maybe the outcome of having done the yoga class or the strength program or the kettlebell class with me. I'm thinking about how I want them to see themselves. And so this means that I'm, I'm trying to create opportunities for people through movement to have a fresh perspective on themselves and to start to imagine potentially what else could be possible in their life because of how they feel now. So I guess I'm dealing in feelings, right? I'm dealing in like these more positive, hopefully feelings of greater capacity, better breathing, more strength, maybe more flexibility, maybe the ability to do something they had not been able to do before, whether it's a yoga pose or a pull-up or a kettlebell flow. But underneath that, I guess I want people to ask and to believe, right? What else is possible? There's more possible for me in my life. I'm capable of more, not in terms of more work or better performance or this or that, but like maybe I'm capable of feeling more present in my life, better in my body, more capable to take on the challenges that are inherent to to being in a body and to living in this world. Yeah. I have a follow-up question for you. Do you yeah. think differently in terms of, because I know that I do in my head, I sort of think about what I call lovingly gen pop, which is anyone who's not a teacher. And mm -hmm. then the mm -hmm. teacher community, which is anyone mm -hmm. who teaches anything. Do you think differently in terms of who you're creating content for? Do you have different goals when you're teaching like a, a public workshop that's for, you know, regular folks? versus I'm, you know, teaching in part of a teacher training or something like that. I think what I've noticed about myself is that in order for me to be an effective teacher, I can, I can really only be teaching what I'm truly invested in and interested in and believe in. Mm -hmm. And what tends to be the outcome of that is that I do attract a lot of teachers because I think that my perspective is usually coming from this more like, mm, this, this level of understanding that's a little bit maybe deeper and therefore not as relevant to the general population. However, I do have people mm -hmm. who are non-teachers uh, who take classes with me or members of my virtual studio. And um, I think what sets them apart is that they're really curious to understand these, these finer details and, and sort of the connections between things. Um, my multidisciplinary approach is because like I teach strength, I teach yoga, I teach very down-regulating and very up-regulating practices together as a part of my work. My reasoning behind that is that I do think if we think of movement as a kind of nutrition for our bodies, that we need all the different food groups, we need all the different movement groups for balance. And I feel like that's my way of kind of taking that middle road of like, let's find balance here. And for me, balance means a lot of times it means variety. Mm -hmm. Of course we could go to the extreme with that as well, <laughs> like, or like too much variety actually starts to kind of work against you, I think, because we can't really then make progress in any particular direction. We dig a lot of shallow holes and we, we fail mm. to dig any deep ones. So I, I, I don't think that the answer is to be doing something different every day, but I do think that variety might 
this uh, this this um, attempt to bring more variety to our movement diet movement practice. Katie Bowman was the first mm-hmm. the first person who used that that phrase that is just like so such an adequate analogy. I think it's such a good analogy. But our movement diet, I think we can bring start start bringing more balance to it when we seek um, very different avenues of movement along a, a wide spectrum from effort, low effort to high effort, from low intensity to high intensity. When we have some of some variety within that spectrum spectrum. Um, so, so my goal really is to help people ask the question, what else is possible in their life? Like that's the big one. And I do it through movement and I do it by helping people take a more reasonable, balanced approach to their movement, to open their mind to the possibility that uh, they can feel very differently. And all of those ways of feeling can be good simply by exposing themselves to different ways of I keep hitting the mic, different ways of hitting the microphone and moving. You need to gesture less with your arms when you're talking. <laughs> you can always tell I'm fired up about variability. Something. You need variability in where you're putting your hands when you're talking. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's really great. And I think that ultimately, like, that's a, a great goal for all of us as, as teachers, right, is to help people understand uh, where they might have uh, self-limited or where they might, you know, and and it can happen in a, in a teacher, you know, teacher to teacher, it can happen, you know, teacher to client, student, patient. I mean, Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people where, where they'll come in, they're like, oh, you know, I say, okay, what, is there something you'd like, I I usually ask people, is there something you'd like to be doing that you're not doing right now because Mm -hmm. of how your body feels. Mm. And some people are very clear. They're like, I'm going to get back to my thing. And mm. other people are like, oh, well, you know, I used to love da da da, but I haven't done it in years. And I don't think I could ever do it again. And um, I just, I'm always like, just super positive about it. I'm like, well, let's, let's see. I think maybe you could, or maybe mm-hmm. a version of it, you know, right. maybe a variation on it, uh, something, but, and I think that's the sort of, the sort of concept of, of taking your embodiment and your movement and your exercise and your sport out of the realm of it's a chore. It's not fun. It's something I used to do. Mm-hmm. It's become stagnant. I only ever do the same things anymore. And instead um, kind of just throwing a bath bomb of inspiration in so that mm-hmm. somebody starts to think, Oh, and this is also, I mean, it's a totally separate topic, but it's also like really important for like nociception and interoception and, and, uh, What's nociception, Sarah? No, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, pardon me. <laughs> nociception is your body's sense of like noxious, negative mm-hmm. things. It is the precursor to what we consider the experience of pain. Right. So that, um, you know, having negative thoughts around your own capabilities around what movement's going to feel like uh, has been shown in research to actually decrease your ability to, for like motor output, strength, things like that, and, mm-hmm. and increase your sense of pain. Right. But if we start to flip it, if we start to um, put ideas back into people's heads around what they can do with their body, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, it, any, anything's possible. Anything's possible. <laughs> So I want to add also to like my answer to the question of what's my mission is like, what is, what do I see movement logics mission as? Uh And I really think that for me, the reason that movement logic exists is to 
help movement teachers like me who are not necessarily, um, or not at all, actually, like officially not a PT. I am not a PT. <laughs> like that's a very objective statement that I can make. I am not a PT. I am not a clinician. I am not a rehab specialist. However, I do have tools to help people get back to meaningful activities. I do have tools to help people feel better in their body. I do have tools to help people um, improve their movement, their exercise, and their sport as a movement teacher. But what I need and what I've been helping us at Movement Logic put forth is a course content that helps movement teachers understand topics of pain, anatomy, physiology, um, as they relate to the particular types of um, students they might be encountering who are post rehab, right? We're not teaching rehab. They're post rehab, but they're still, they need some more bridging. They need some more help getting back to those activities of daily living, those meaningful activities that exercise that they really, you know, love for their physical and mental health, that sport that they really want to get back to. Where do we fit in? Because I feel like, unfortunately, there just isn't enough bridging between rehab and then getting people back to the things that they want to be able to do in their life that give their life meaning. And I think this is really where the movement teacher comes in. Absolutely. The PT sessions end and then what? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a potent space and it's a valuable space. And it's, it's a space that I think all of us who consider ourselves movement teachers should want to try to inhabit if only for, uh, you know, your own skill set, your own mastery of movement itself. Right. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the goal, I think. Yeah. We want to, we want to help people. And I think that our tutorials help people like me, movement teachers who, you know, are PTs help their people. Yeah. Um, Hey, Sarah, I think we did it. I think we just recorded our first podcast. It's amazing. I think it's, I think we're, I think you're right. High five. Don't hit, don't hit the mic. Don't hit the mic. High five to the camera. Air five to the screen. Wait, no, I hit my, I got to do it again. Sorry. Okay. Slow motion. High five to the screen. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, um, talk to you next week. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to support us, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like to watch, head on over to our website at movementlogictutorials.com forward slash podcast, where you can watch the video version. We'll be back in your ears next week to nerd out about movement without taking ourselves too seriously in the process. <laughs>